Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning by my frequent co-host, Kirk Reed, my business partner and husband. And we are talking the American Rescue Plan, et cetera, this morning. Um, We sort of wrapped up the 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 provisions that we thought were notable from a personal finance perspective anyway uh, in the American Rescue Plan. And I just wanted to touch on a few things that weren't there that maybe people thought were hoping or thought were gonna be in there and that were in prior stimulus packages, but um, were not in the American Rescue Plan. So um, thanks for joining us. not in the American Rescue Plan is a waiver of required minimum distributions for 2021. Um, some There was some speculation that the government was going to waive those again this year. They were waived in 2020 as part of the first stimulus package, which I forgot. Oh, that was the CARES Act. Yep. Um, uh, so required distributions uh, for account for retirement account owners. Um, 72 and older and for beneficiaries that are that have inherited IRAs who are in required distributions for which is actually for um, the original retirement account owner had to pass before 2019 that got a little confusing because now there's no more required distributions for inherited IRA owners um, anyway that was that was that was the secure act the secure act right mm. Um, that eliminated the stretch provision on an inherited IRA. That was back at the end of. So that yeah. was the end of nineteen. That yeah. I mean the the so the RMD the required minimum distribution. I mean I I guess that one makes sense to me. I mean, you know when they passed it last year, it was right. In, you know, when the markets were down a lot, you know, last March, um, you know, so it made that made sense at the time they were trying to protect people from, you know, having to, you know, sell investments uh, because at that point things were very, you know, things were depressed in value and, you know, certainly nobody knew when, you know, when that was going to, um, you know, when the recovery was going to happen, you know, certainly nobody would have predicted that it happened as quickly as it did. Uh, I mean, in, in retrospect, you know, people, you know, probably could have taken their RMDs last year and, and been just fine. Cause you know, you know, it, you know, if you look at 2020, uh, on the whole, it actually ended up being a pretty good year, uh, investment wise, but obviously didn't know that in March. Um, and so the fact that they, you know, 
didn't, uh, uh, you know, skip, you know, allow people to skip them for this year, you know, makes sense to me because, you know, last year, as I said, ended up being a pretty good year. Um, and, and so far this year, you know, things have, things have been good. So, I mean, who, who knows where we go from here, but that you could say that about any year. Um, and, you know, so I guess that, that makes sense to me that they, you know, there's no dispensation for them, you know, this year. Um, and I, you know, that subject to change, I suppose, but, but as of now, yeah, there's no, uh, there's right no, no allowance for skipping them this year. Yeah. I mean, people that had their monies invested, even in like a moderate, or even maybe like a moderately conservative portfolio probably could have still taken four or 5% out last year when the market was down and. Um, but you're right. It was only down for a short period of time, but you know, the when they, pa- when they passed it. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It, it certainly seemed pretty, uh, pretty yeah. bleak, bleak at that point. <laughs> yeah. So RMDs require minimum distributions are a go. So if you're 72 or older in 2021, or you inherited an IRA for someone who passed before one, one of 20 and you were not their spouse, um, then your beneficiary IRA required minimum distribution is also a go for 2021. So yeah, so we've been proceeding in our office that um, that those are a go and you know any potential future legislation later in the calendar year would likely include a provision that allows people to put the funds back just like they did last year anyway. I don't know, speculation, but you're right. I doubt that that will be a part of anything that we see in the future. I don't even know if we'll see another stimulus or maybe that maybe this is it. Um, so those are not in there. Uh, waiver of RMDs, I mean, are not in the American Rescue Plan. Um, there's also like a part of this, the first stimulus package, the CARES Act, um, allowed people to withdraw prematurely dollars from retirement accounts. And there was no extra 10% penalty because they were drawing from retirement accounts before 59 and a half. That was, that was for 2020. That is not in the stimulus. So anyone who draws at, at this point in time, anyway, anyone who draws out of a retirement account, and if it's a premature distribution, in other words, they're under 59 and a half, um, there is the extra 10% federal tax penalty to draw those funds out. So there's no sort of waiver of that penalty um, as part of the American Rescue Plan. So tax penalties for premature distributions are also a go mm-hmm. for 2021. Um, I guess notably not not related to retirement accounts or investing, but there was no minimum wage hike. I guess people were, they think maybe the original proposal was to hike the federal minimum wage to 15 bucks, but that did not, that did not go through. I don't know if maybe the Senate stripped that out. I can't remember that we, I was reading about so many different things. I can't remember like the evolution of things, but um, one more notable one. I don't know if you read this, I don't know if I read this in the Kitsies article or if this was um, in a different article I read, but I guess the house version of the American rescue plan, which was the, I think it was the first version that passed and then it went to the Senate. Is that how it works? I think that's the case. So the House version originally included a provision that would eliminate increases to the amount people could add to their retirement plans starting in 2030. So this is down the road, but one of the versions of the plan, which didn't pass, but one of the versions was such that hey, down the road, like starting in 2030, the amounts that people could put in 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, Roths, uh, Simples, for example, those retirement accounts, the orig- the, there was a version that eliminated future increases on those amounts. So uh, you and I know that, you know, historically every two or three years, like for example, uh, on average, I should say, mm-hmm. the amount that people can add to their retirement plans increases. It's generally like been increasing by, you know, increments of 500 or a thousand bucks every two or three years. So, you know, a few years, I don't know, t- I don't know, 10 years back or something, people could only put $4,000 into their IRA if they were under 50. This year they can put 6,000. There was, you know, there was some incremental, I think it went to five and now it's six. And, and, you know, people just sort of expect that those amounts will increase over time to keep up with cost of living so that people can you know, really be tucking away 
roughly the equivalent amount in the future in terms of what money buys right. or what money is worth uh, in the future as now. I mean, that's happened, I mean, throughout my career, which has <clears throat> now been almost 20 years, but um, they're interesting for me, I thought, and, and a little bit scary was that there, the house proposal was eliminating increases to that in the future. Um, and I, I, th- I think that would be just, you know, awful, De- you know, actually maybe I shouldn't be so dramatic and use the word detrimental, but um, I think that would be an incredibly unfortunate if we saw legislation similar to that in the future. I guess the Senate eliminated that. And so that didn't pass, um, but it made me a little bit nervous that we might see some legislation like that in the future, basically just capping yeah, that- what people can add to retirement, which is a little, which is just it's frustrating because there's all these statistics about people aren't saving enough and, um, and, you know, and, and doesn't the government want people to be putting more in their retirement accounts so that they're not, you know, dependent on governments, et cetera. I mean, having said that there are ways to save outside of IRAs, 401ks, of course. Um, but it, it would be frustrating for, in my opinion, for, um, for the amounts people can add to their retirement plans, you know, for that to be capped and not increase with cost of living over time. Yeah, cer- certainly seems yeah counter you know counter counterproductive, counterintuitive. I mean, the whole point of the you know yeah. IRAs and you know you know those were introduced you know right you know uh, by the government to uh, incentivize people to to save and um, yeah. you know receive a little bit of a tax break in doing so and and. Um, you know, as we're going to talk about, you, you mentioned, you know, talking about inflation. I mean, inflation is, you know, it's not, that's not going away. And yeah, so to take the ability to, you know, continue to put money away, you know, tax advantaged, uh, you know, in, in keeping up with inflation to yeah, take that away, does, that doesn't help, that doesn't help people, um, you know, long-term with their, with their retirement prospects. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I guess if you think about, I mean, 401ks are different because first of all, someone under age 50 can put 19,500 in a 401k, which is a, which is a good amount of money for, for a lot of people. Um, and a good percentage of, of like the average, you know, per average Americans income. Um, but if you think about an, an IRA, like if someone doesn't have a 401k and they're just putting money into an IRA, the limit on that for someone under age 50 is $6,000. I mean, that is not, I mean, yes, I know that there's a lot of people, especially now that aren't making even enough to put that away. But for for many working Americans, that is not a lot, that is not going to be enough money to put away annually to make a retirement scenario work and, for and, many people. I mean, that's just- And I, and I think, yeah. and I, I could, and I could, you know, I, I certainly could be wrong here, but- I feel like that, you know, there might, there might be some people that when they see, you know, when they see these amounts, you know, that, that the IRS allows, you know, $6,000 or five, whatever it is, I, I think some people might say, oh, okay, well, if that's what I'm allowed to put in, then, then that's, you know, that's my, that's my target. And, yeah. and, and, and then I'm going to be just fine for retirement if I do what the government says I can do. And so I feel like, you know, the government, you know, I feel like they, they need to set maybe maybe set a better example, you know, by yeah. by increasing those amounts because that might that might trigger some people to, to to add more. And so you know, people, you know, they have you know, and, and if it means a little bit of an incentive to do that, you know, um, uh, I think that that's I, I think that's leading people in the in the right direction versus versus going the other way. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly hope. Again, this is total speculation that we'll see this in the future. But if it was in one bill, it's you know potentially going to be in another bill by whoever first put it in this bill. Um, I could, I guess, I could understand them maybe eliminating future increases to the four hundred one k cap because that is fairly generous at nineteen five for this year under age fifty and twenty six thousand. For this year for 50 or older. I, so that's fairly generous. Um, and like I said, even, even people where that maybe isn't enough, maybe they're getting, you know, a late start in life saving or, you know, they just, they have higher income, higher expenses. Maybe they want to save more than that. Of course there are other avenues 
but the 401k cap is is generous and even the simple IRA cap is fairly generous which is what 13,000 and I think but the traditional IRA it at least allow that to go up with cost of living that that is just not it's not where it it could should slash could be um yeah so so i'm sure all the legislators are listening right now to this radio show and and, and our our podcast so so senators please i was just i was just thinking about that and i was thinking if you know if if they are listening uh you know you know my suggestion would be you know make it make it easier and less expensive for companies to set up 401ks you know so that everybody can have access to a 401k But actually, don't you remember in the second, was it the first or the second? I think it was the first stimulus. There were a couple provisions in there geared toward businesses, encouraging them to set up 401ks or the like, retirement accounts. There were some tax credits. They were very small, though. They they were pretty small. But yes, there were two tax credits. You're right. They weren't big enough. (laughs) But I think the thing, I mean, you know, if if I was putting on my, you know, I'm a senator hat, the thinking is probably like, oh, you know, companies can afford, you know, their, you know, companies can afford to set up the 401k. They should bear the burden of that. Having said that, you know, companies just getting started or small businesses, like, can't always afford that, especially at the beginning. So I think that that's not a good assumption. Certainly some business, lots of businesses can, but but yeah, that, that was part of the first stimulus. There was some tax credits for businesses to, I think, to establish auto enroll, to set up a 401k that if they didn't already have one or, or another retirement plan, like a simple for smaller businesses. Um, but there was another one where there was an additional tax benefit for them to set up auto enroll. In other words, employees had to opt out of putting money in the 401k, but by default, they were going to be enrolled at a certain percentage. I forget what it was. So we actually set up the auto enroll last year because we didn't have that. We had a 401k, of course, but um, we didn't have auto enroll. So we set that up. So for whatever that tax credit was, I think it was like 250 bucks or something. I was going to say 500. I think it was like $500, it was but it's like $500 a year, right? Isn't that yeah. what it is? Yeah. 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 It was like a one time. If you set this up, 500 okay. tax credit. So we're yeah. getting that. We're getting that this <laughs> year, last year when we, yeah. when we get our taxes done here. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, you know, enough harping on that. It wasn't in the bill, but it scared me a little bit to read that, that that was in the original proposal capping limits on what people could add to retirement plans. Of course, you know, the thinking from the federal government is the less people can deduct in terms of uh, putting money in retirement plans, the more tax revenue to the government. So that, you know, of course that's the thinking, um, but that would be frustrating because, you know, again, Kirk, you and I know, that even if, even if, you know, in the future retirement plan limits are capped, you know, at a at less than ideal number, there's always an avenue for people to save for retirement, but not everyone knows that. And, and, peop- and yeah, people, yeah, people, yeah, you're right. People don't know that. And people don't think that way. Cause they're people don't think that way. They're like, uh, they, yeah, they don't know that. Oh, I can, I mean, a lot of people do, but there's still a lot of people that don't know, like, oh, I can just set up an account like I you know what I mean they people just are hyper focused on well I think they look to the IRS and and the government for guidance and that's where that's why that's that that's why I didn't like that you know potential you know capping that or reduction I mean because I think I think yeah a lot of people do look to that as kind of a a a roadmap for what to do and um and and they feel kind of capped by that and and that's not that's not right but but I feel like that is that, that that does happen yeah and I feel like, I mean, I guess if people thought really hard about it, they would like people have heard the word brokerage account, right? Or they, or they, people sort of know that they can invest money outside of a retirement plan. Most people do know that, but, but it's interesting how they don't think of it as retirement money, but it can be, it can be earmarked. You know, you could, you know, if you max your IRA, you don't have a 401k, you max your IRA, you know, you've got an extra thousand dollars a month. You want to save it for retirement. You can just put it in a brokerage account. You don't, you know, you don't get the same tax benefits, but that's okay. It can still be retirement money can still be earmarked as such. But but again, people get hyper-focused on like the, the, oh, but I'm not getting the tax benefits. Why would I do that? I'm going to have to pay taxes, but you know what? You're going to pay taxes at some point on all of your money anyway, unless you die and you pass it to like your kids and then they pay the taxes. The taxes are always going to be paid. And if you're paying along the way in a non-retirement, non-qualified account, 
it's okay. You still, at least under current tax code, you still always get to keep more after taxes than you pay in taxes. <laughs> that hasn't always, maybe that hasn't always been the case in the tax code, but that is the case right now. Um, so yeah, I, again, I, I, I don't mean to harp on that, but for, for a financial professional to read that as proposed legislation is a little scary. Um, and I hope that does not come to pass. And I will be getting active with my voice and my emails to my legislators, Kirk, if we, if we see that again. Um, all right. I wanted to, I know we only have a few minutes now before the next break, but we still have another, um, uh, you know, 30 or so minutes after. But I do want to talk about inflation. Um, I had a, I'm, I'm, you're just starting to hear about that now. I don't know if you are like, you know, I listen to podcasts and stuff and on the news and articles I see, um, you know, you're just starting to hear that more than we have in like 10 years. Um, and I had a client come in recently and she's very cute. She has an adult um, child that, you know, sort of tries to help guide her and, you know, it tries to give her some financial advice. And he was kind of prepping her for the meeting. And she's kind of cute. She came in with, um, here's a list of questions that my son wanted me to ask you. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not sure if she wanted to ask. I'm pretty sure she didn't need to ask them, but she, you know, her, her, she was being respectful of her, her son who was trying to help her. And it was very sweet. Um, and the first question was, what do we do about what are her question was, what are you doing about inflation? Mm. Um, and that was the first time in recent, actually probably like in a really long time, I've, I've heard that as a straight out concern, wanting to know what are you doing for me about this thing we have called inflation? Um, because if you think about it, we ha I mean, we haven't really had inflation of any concern at all in like 10 years or more. It's right? been, I mean, it's, it's been, been, yeah, it's been trending lower over the past 10 years, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just been going down. Uh, and now it's, I mean, it's probably at, you know, at a, you know, at a very, you know, historical rate. I mean, very low. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's been, it has not been, it hasn't been in the papers. It hasn't been a concern in, 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 you know, most people's real, you know, real lives. Um, but you know, eventually, yeah, it's going to change course, and for whatever reason, yeah, it's been coming more prevalent in the in the news cycle. Uh, you know, that's 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 the uh, apocalypse du jour now, right? Is inflation? Yeah, um, yes. That's what people. Yeah. You know, we got to talk. We got to worry about something. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but but this, I mean, inflation is a true concern. Uh, you know, long term, uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna kill you next week or next year, but. Um, but over a long period of time, it is something that yeah you you always, you do need to, to think about and, and be planning for. Uh, all right, what do we have? We two have, minutes before yep, the break. I yep. mean, okay, so before we get into this, and I and I want to talk, but I want to talk this through a little bit more and what people can be thinking about and doing about and why we might have some inflation. But I just want to like just start off by we we want inflation. We don't want high inflation, but we want inflation. Because if we didn't have inflation, people wouldn't have a reason to spend money now. And it would, there would be like no stimulation of the economy. So there would be not as much moving the economy forward and growing the economy. Like if we didn't have any inflation and if the house you wanted or the car that you wanted now was going to be the same price a year or two or three from now, there would be no like... Mo not as much motivation or no urgency to buy it, especially, I mean, especially with real estate super easily illustrated right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that when we have inflation, it places urgency on purchases, which is good for the economy. So lack of inflation isn't good for the economy. Right. Deflation certainly isn't good for the economy because things get cheaper in the future. Nobody spends money. Right. More, yeah. Right? Mortgage rates is, yeah, yeah. prime example. Yeah. 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 So we need inflation. We don't need super high inflation. We don't want that, of course. Um, so let's just take a break and we'll, we're going to continue that discussion of, and, you know, why we might see some and, and what people should be doing about it. Um, uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by Kirk Reed this morning. Talked about the American Rescue Plan. That was great fun. What's in it? What's not in it? Uh, now let's get into inflation discussions, maybe some taxes before we wrap up the show here. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I thought I was perhaps joined by Kirk Reed this morning, but I, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you. I just yeah. lost your video. No Some, yeah. I don't know. Zoom, Zoom decided it was done with us. You know, Zoom's had a busy year. I, you know, I don't blame them for getting tired and, you know, it, you know, things start falling apart. They're, they've been overworked this year. It the, is, it is Zoom Saturday crowd. after all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We are, we're talking about, um, let's get right back into talking about inflation. I mean, we talked about the American Rescue Plan, um, what's in it, what's not in it. If you missed that, if you're just tuning in and you missed that, check out our podcast. You can search the podcast app for McNamara on money. Um, the first half we talked about the American Rescue Plan. Um, yeah, again, there's been a lot of buzz about inflation. Are, are people getting nervous if we see inflation? Again, my my main point is we need some sort of inflation for our economy to keep humming along. Um, but of course, inflation, we you know, we don't want inflation to be so high that people in a short period of time, you know, struggle to meet expenses, of course. So um, you know, the, 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 the reason that you've been hearing a lot about inflation is I, there, well, there's a few things at play here. Um, first of all, there's pent up demand, you know, for, for, for people to want to, you know, people have been for the most part, like stuck at home for a year, right? There's pent up demand for travel, um, for going out to the, mall, et cetera, shopping areas and, and shopping and spending money. There's, you know, pent up demand, of course, for dining out and concerts and, and, you know, qual, you know, just discretionary type spending. I think a lot of people, you know, we talked in the show about the, about the stimulus and about how I think the government has done, um, you know, what they can to keep people afloat here in some, in what would have been some, you know, in what is a terrible time, but what have, could have been a disastrous time financially for many people. I think they've done a good job sort of controlling that and, and helping people, um, you know, get through this. Hopefully, of course, I know I'm trying to be sensitive here. I know a lot of people are struggling. Of course, I know that. I, I just, my point is it could have been a lot worse without these three stimulus packages. Um, so there's, pe- there's pent up demand. And there's also, there's a lot of statistics pointing to the fact that there's a lot of cash on the sidelines right now, right? So people haven't been, you know, a lot of people are still employed. A lot of people in many professions were just able to transition to work from home and didn't have a break in employment. So income has stayed the same for many people. Um, and, and there's some people who have transitioned to unemployment and maybe their take-home pay is a little bit more than it, than it was prior. So um, in some situations that, that has actually been the case. So there's cash on the sidelines because people haven't been, you know, traveling or, or dining out or, you know, all these discretionary things that are part, a normal part of people's budgets for the most part. So um, they're, they're, you know, economists are, or, you know, people are sort of speculating that there's going to be a lot of spending here as we approach the warm weather months and people are able to go outside to concerts and events. And, you know, now we can have gatherings and, um, you know, outdoor seating at restaurants, at, you know, in Northern parts of the country and, um, and, and, and people are traveling a lot. So there's worry that, you know, all this money is going to kind of be like, put into play in a, in a short period of time and that demand will could potentially drive prices up in certain areas. Um, can you still hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, case in case in point, first of all, I didn't, I didn't, um, I apologize. I didn't, I didn't look at these statistics, but I have, um, one of my clients is an airline pilot and he was talking about how, you know, new airline bookings are just like are hitting are, are hitting highs, like future bookings are mm. are hitting, you know, I don't know if it's record highs, but certainly like the numbers are climbing substantially as especially compared to where they were in the last year. Um, so people are getting comfortable spending, you know, getting ready to spend that money in vacation and um, travel and going to visit family in other parts of the country, et cetera. Um, so like, you know, you and I were looking at booking flights to Florida over April break to go visit my parents who winter down there. And normally when I, you know, in years past, you know, I go on, I'd price out, 
you know, okay, I know it's going to be expensive, but how much is it if we wanted to go to Florida, like sometime around April break? And I feel like in most years past, it's like, I don't know, 800 bucks a person, right? And, and even then it's like, oh, it's so high. Why is it so high? Because, you know, normally it's, you know, 400 or something like that. And it's, you know, in years past 800, you know, a ticket to go to Florida, right? Somewhere around April break. And recently I was looking and it, I'm not even kidding. It was $1,500 a person to go to April break. And there are multiple, multiple, multiple aircrafts going. And, um, you know, I had this conversation with my airline the pilot client. And he was saying that, yeah, I mean, like bookings are just, you know, increasing substantially. Um, so just like one example of, yeah, like maybe we are going to see some inflation here. That's just one industry. I don't know if you've talked to any of, uh, of your clients who might be in construction or or in the process of building a home or putting on an addition. I mean, construction costs, from what I understand, are up very significantly in terms of um, I, the cost of timber. And, and yeah, I haven't I haven't talked to anybody, but I've I have read that that you know people that have you know either put in orders to build a house or or to buy a house that's being built they've they've been canceling because yeah the the prices of the the materials are just going going crazy because of the the you know, the supply chain, you know, cause everything's kind of been disrupted, uh, with, you know, with the virus and everything. And so, you know, the cost of the materials are just, you know, skyrocketing. Cost of building materials are skyrocketing. And I, and I was talking recently to a, um, a client who's in construction and I was just asking like, you know, what, you know, I knew it was a supply chain issue. Like what, what, you know, what's, what's really behind this from your perspective. And he is saying that, in these industries, right? In these, um, in, in, in those industries where, you know, uh, consumer goods, I don't know, is that consumer goods? Building materials. Um, he's saying that it's hard for businesses to get workers because unemployment benefits are so good oh. that many of the workers are on un- collecting unemployment and making good income, you know, with the bump and are quite comfortable to just stay out of the workforce right now, collect unemployment while they can. And now it's been extended six months. So it's hard for some businesses to get people to work mm-hmm. so they can't produce what they have produced in the past that, it, you know, it, in the same time. And so Bill, of course there's, demand for building and renovations to home and construction because interest rates are so low couple that with these supply chain issues of, of you know some some businesses can't get enough workers um you know and yeah we, we hear about you know unemployment benefit you know unemployment claims at all-time highs but i think it's kind of like it, 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 the 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 federal government yeah these benefits are great but the federal government is kind of like it's kind of inadvertently causing some other problems here because the benefits are so good that some people don't want to go back to work that it's causing these supply chain issues that are causing prices to, to increase in, in some um, areas. So it's a very interesting what's happening there. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that the, you know, the inflation concerns that you're reading about, hearing about, I think, and, and even the Fed, I believe, has said, um, Jay Powell, chair of the Fed, I think I heard a little snippet of him or of an interview with him recently and kind of saying like the Fed or the Federal um, Reserve is kind of indicating, yes, we could see some inflation here, but they're kind of thinking it's going to be a shorter term inflation. Like, you know, maybe unemployment benefits only go these six months. And then maybe if things sort of start, you know, businesses start reopening, unemployment benefits revert back to norms, you know, more people get back into the workforce, things sort of normalize. You know, we go, we went through the summer, everyone spent a bunch of money that they had saved last year. They spent it all this summer. So maybe the inflation concerns hopefully anyway, our short-term concerns. Um, and, and, and if it's kind of a blip in one year, I don't know that the Fed is very worried about that, but you're right. If we had, you know, inflation for a very long period of time, that would certainly be a concern for people. Um, but, you know, the, the federal, you know, the federal reserve is, is, okay, I can't speak for them, but I'm sure, you know, they, they, likely would take action if they saw that inflation, you know, was higher than what they're comfortable with for a longer period of time than what they're comfortable with. I mean, you know, when, if we saw inflation, 
you know, get to uncomfortable levels for an uncomfortable period of time. And I'm not the person that would define, you know, what is uncomfortable. Um, but the Fed would like, you know, raise interest rates, which raises, you know, mortgage rates and, you know, those people building those homes, for example, right, construction loan interest rates go higher. So the Fed would take some steps to, um, you know, try to control inflation where it can by raising interest rates, by, you know, selling back, you know, you talk about them, um, their, you know, their monetary policy, right, where they sell back treasuries to the banks and things like that so that the, the banks don't have as much money to be lending to businesses and people. So, you know, the Fed will do what it can to battle that and keep inflation where it wants inflation, which I think is something like, what, two and a half, three percent per year or something is what they'll say is ideal. So there are things that the government can do about it. And I think they're kind of hoping that the whatever inflation comes our way, which has been sort of absent in our life in any significant degree for about a decade, um, you know, they're, they're sort of anticipating that it will be a relatively short-term concern. Um, but to go back to the, you know, what, what my client walked in and her son had asked her to ask me, what are we doing about inflation? The, well, I, I could answer that in a couple ways. Number one, we have stocks in portfolios and you know it, and, and that that right there is a way to battle inflation long term right owning stocks of some suitable percentage for you in a portfolio is going to be at least is your best chance of outpacing inflation in terms of the return that stock investments can generate for you over long periods of time anyway on average you know, that's how you battle inflation long term by owning things and growing your money in such a way that hopefully it outpaces inflation. And really stocks are your best chance to do that versus bonds versus cash, um, I, et cetera. So that's it, my short answer. What do yeah. we do about inflation? We own stocks in your portfolio. Right, and I, yeah, of course I, I agree with that. Um, but, um, you know, I kind of wonder, you know, in talking about this, and thinking about the situation we are where, you know, banks and, you know, safe, you know, safe type, you know, investments are not paying anything, right? Because, inf you know, inflation's low, interest rates are low. Uh, and so I wonder, you know, people are, you know, people are starting to realize that in order to earn any return on their money, they do have to invest in some of these, you know, yeah. you know, assets that, you know, carry a little bit more risk. And I wonder how much of that is driving kind of the, you know, the stock market boom that we're seeing because people oh, are- yeah people are putting money into stocks that maybe they wouldn't have, wouldn't have in the past uh, because that's really the only place to get a return these days. And, you know, that could be part of what's kind of temporarily uh, really given us this, this big boom, uh, you know, in the stock market. And, you know, once, you know, once inflation does start to pick up a little bit and, you know, you, you can get a little bit of interest on your, on your bank money, you know, I think, I think the stocks will pull back and people will, um, you know, start to be putting more money in the, into, the, into the banks. Um, and I think that's, you know, an, another thing that's kind of going on right now uh, these, these days. But um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what when we, when we talk to a new client and we try to educate them on, you know, um, you know, sort of education, you know, investments uh, 101. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at, if you look at history and you look at the big picture, um, you know, investing in stocks um, is, has really been the only really sort of tried and true way to, you know, to, to, to grow your money, uh, you know, net of the effects of inflation. And so that's, I mean, I don't think that's going to change uh, anytime soon. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think you're right. I mean, when the Fed lowers interest rates, they do it to stimulate, right? And so it stimulates, it, it encourages spending, number one, because, it, you know, it encourages people to buy homes and lock in, you know, a mortgage at a low interest rate, it encourages people to buy cars and things like that, these large pur purchases that people would be financing, right? So that's one reason that the Fed would lower interest rates to stimulate spending. Um, but I think another reason is to stimulate investing too, right? Because you're right, when there's no yield anywhere, there's no earnings like anywhere on anything in quotes, safe, secure, you know, bank cash, CDs, treasuries, even, you know, bonds, things like that, that then, then the only option is, where am I gonna make money? Stocks, or I suppose, you know, depending on how um, comfortable you are with volatility, cryptocurrency, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> But don't, don't put too much money in that. That is incredibly, ridiculously volatile. Um, 
But no, I'm kidding. I'm all kidding aside. Um, yeah, stock investments is how you battle it. And not again, not everyone should have all stocks in their portfolio. But if you are going to battle inflation long term, you should have some allocation to stocks in your portfolio. Even if you're a fairly conservative investor, there should be some allocation there because fixed investments, i.e. bonds, et cetera, bond like securities likely won't battle inflation that historically haven't. And going forward, likely especially won't battle high inflation um, long term. And, and sort of my other answer to that question, what do you do about inflation? I mean, when you when we do long term planning, you you want to be cognizant of what you're assuming in terms of real return on your money. And so, you know, real return is return of an investment minus inflation. So you wanna be cognizant of what you're modeling there in terms of what is that spread. And I always try to make that spread be, I, I always try to be conservative with what that spread is. Like, you know, people are just used to hearing, you know, target rates of return, right? Like on five, six, 7%, whatever. But that's not a real return. That's a gross return before inflation. What does inflation take away from me, right? So if I earn 6%, um, on an investment, you know, on average over 10 years, what did inflation take away from that? You know, you and I know in the last 10 years anyway, inflation has been less than 2%, but long-term averages is closer to like two and two, two and a half. Um, so what's the real return there, right? It's the difference. So whenever you're doing long-term modeling, um, you just want to be careful about what you're assuming in terms of the real return after inflation, I guess said differently, be a little bit conservative maybe with the returns you're assuming and or be conservative in terms of the inflationary assumption that you're assuming and in a conservative inflation assumption is is higher, right? So, you know, we would generally use two and a half, three percent, but doing something upwards of three percent, three point two, I don't know, that would be a conservative way, hopefully anyway, to model inflation. Um, moving forward and, and be cognizant of those real returns that, that you're assuming. So. Right. And we always, you know, we always have that discussion with, with, with somebody when we're, you know, with a new client, you know, about what, you know, our thoughts on inflation, you know, kind of, and then kind of showing them what inflation has been. And then we, you know, we, uh, you know, kind of agree, you know, with them on, on what we think is a, a good assumption going forward. So that, and that makes them aware of, you know, our concern and, and, you know, getting them on board as far as understanding that. And, you know, that often translates to what do we, yeah, what do we need to earn on your investments to, you know, to counteract that and to make sure that, you know, net of those effects, um, you, you get to where you need to be. And I think, you know, going through that exercise is good. You know, some, I mean, every, I think everyone knows, you know, they, they kind of know what inflation is, but you know, if you ask them what the number is, not, you know, I don't know, maybe half the people kind of know what that number is and half people maybe don't have a clue, um, you know, what, you know, what is current inflation, what has it been, um, and yeah. to, to, to boil it down to a number. And, um, sometimes that's, people don't always know that. And so I think that's kind of a interesting exercise to go through. Yeah. Um, all right. We've got like what, eight or nine or 10 minutes. I, I did want to talk about quickly, um, I have some concerns about taxes going higher in the future, largely, be, well, largely because they're just, they're low right now. Um, we have a democratic administration that has been very open, Biden in particular has been very open about wanting to raise taxes on certain income earners and corporations. I know where you're going with this. Couple all that with the fact that we just pumped out trillions of dollars in stimulus money um, that will need to be paid for it in some fashion over some period of time. Um, so, like, I'm just going to go right out there and say I'm pretty sure taxes are going up here um, pretty soon for some people, anyway, many people. Um, and and I think longer term tax brackets higher than where they are now is 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 likely. Um, whether it's under this administration or a future one. 
Um, so, I mean, Biden's been pretty open. He wants to raise taxes on higher income earners, which he's defining as married, married couples over 400000 and and singles over $200,000 of income per year. He wants to raise the highest tier tax bracket back to 39.6. Right now it's 37. He wants to increase taxes on capital gains for higher income earners. He wants to increase um, uh, uh, social security taxes which are those FICA taxes out of your paycheck on higher income earners. He wants to tax corporations um, higher, uh, Trump lowered taxes on corporations. So there's a lot happening potentially in the tax world um, for higher income earners, potentially. Um, uh, Biden's been pretty open and he's said on multiple occasions, multiple things that I've read, um, um, you know, adamant that it's, you know, just going to be at that, at those levels, 200 uh, of income for a single and 400 for a married. So, but, you know, but there's, but so, so I guess the question, you know, if that happens um, and, you know, maybe he shifts focus on to that pretty soon, um, you know, what do you do about it? If you're, you know, if, if you're a higher income earner, what are, what can you do about it? Or if you're just worried about maybe taxes are going up for everybody at some point in the future, um, what do you, what do you do about it? You know, and again, you, we don't know the timing of, of these things. Will Biden get something through this year? And whereas it's too late anyway, if it's effective for the 2021 tax year, you know, it's too late <laughs> if that, if that ends up being the case, but um you know, if it doesn't pass, you know, until next year or the year after or something, you know, maybe there are things that people can be thinking about, especially higher income earners to, to be prepared for that. And, you know, we don't have a lot of time for this and I could probably spend a whole show on this. And if we start hearing buzz, you know, about this in the media, maybe we should do that, um, spend a little bit more time. But like I said, it could, it could quite honestly be too late if we're already in the tax year where we're going to see a change in, in tax code. But, um, you know, I would just say, Again, if if brackets are lower now than they'll be in the future for some or all taxpayers, um, that means, you know, one thing people can do is if you can get money into Roth IRAs here while taxes are low, do it. I I try to make a a point to talk to everyone I can, like everyone that will listen to me. I try to, you know, if you're eligible, get money into Roth, whether it's a Roth IRA or some people are lucky enough to have um, the ability to to contribute um, to a Roth 401k. Some 401ks allow Roth contributions. Those are beautiful because there are no income eligibility restrictions on Roth 401k contributions uh, with Roth IRAs. Um, first of all, the the amount you can contribute is lower, but there's also income eligibility restrictions on that. So not everyone can contribute um, to Roth, but if you can take full advantage of that, especially if you're a higher income earner. And again, I have to caveat that by saying, you know, if Biden or you know the administration happens to um, to pass some tax code changes this year, it might be too late if this is the year that it passes and if it's effective for this year. But if it's not, maybe there's still a you know a swinging chance, right, that this wouldn't be imposed until 2022. And if that's the case, um, get some money in Roth. I don't know. I sur- I kind of stand by get money in Roths, especially if you're on the younger side. Get money in Roths if you can. Anyway, I know I know we wouldn't make it through the show without. Without, without, the, about without that, yeah, coming up, yeah. Uh, I mean, and as soon as you said the word taxes, I knew that's where we were go, where you were going. Right. Yeah. Yes. If people learn one thing from me ever, it's that get money into a Roth when you're young, uh, and if you think taxes will go up in the future, most people, I guess, unless you're like, you know, really approaching retirement or you know, in a high tax bracket anyway, you know, later in your career, you know, maybe those don't make sense, but. I mean, even even for even for older folks, if they're if they're in a low tax bracket, I mean, it, it could make sense too. I mean, it just it, it depends. Okay, I also think so. Roth. Okay, hopefully the legislators aren't listening now. Okay, everybody keep this quiet. Tim, Tim, think, Tim's on it. Tim's on it. Okay, yep. Tim. No, no one's listening. You're all set. Go for it. He's confir- <laughs> he's confirmed. There's absolutely nobody listening to the show right now. Good. Yeah. No. I we were talking earlier in the show about about. Um, legislators going after retirement contributions, right? And limiting what people, okay. So under the umbrella of that discussion, Roth 401ks are amazing because people that make $500,000 a year, if they're 50 or older, just for example, can put $26,000 per year into a Roth 401k. 
That is amazing because they're because those people are clearly ineligible for a Roth IRA, not to mention Roth 401k contribution limits are so high. So if something was to to change in the world of retirement contributions under the heading of the government wanting more tax revenue from higher income earners, I think it would be elimination or change in the world of Roth 401ks because those, in my opinion, those are almost like a loophole that hasn't been closed yet. Those are amazing if you're a higher income earner, um, especially someone who's, your if your income is so high that it, you, you can just clearly afford to forego the tax break. Um, and so, and if your taxes are going up in the future, um, you're not eligible for a Roth IRA and you can pump money into a Roth 401k. I mean, those are amazing. So yeah. Anyone that will listen to me, I talk about how wonderful those are. Yeah. And just, you know, as a, as a counterpoint, um, you know, what, you know, what I often tell people is like, if they have a 401k where there's, you know, they have option, you know, both options, you know, they could do pre-tax and post-tax in the form of the Roth. I often tell them to do a little bit of both because it's a, it's a hedge against the unknowns of where, of where the tax code goes. Because, you know, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it seems like, you know, the conventional wisdom would be that tax brackets will go probably go up in the future, but we don't know. And we don't know exactly what that looks like. And, you know, so if you can kind of hedge your bets, uh, you know, now and do a little bit of both, get, you know, get a deduction on some of your money at a known tax rate and also, ha- you know, put away some, some tax-free money uh, in addition to that. I think that's, to me, that's kind of a, I mean, that's just the way I am. I, I you know, I prefer to kind of, you know, hedge. Um, and yeah. so, but yes, yeah. but it's certainly, it's certainly situational dependent, um, you know, depending on your tax bracket and age and, and other circumstances as far as, you know, assets that you've accumulated thus far and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have about, we only have, oh, yeah, we got about a minute or less than a minute. Yep. So we're. All right. I hear the music. Um, all right. Good. That was, that was, that was good stuff. I always think our shows are good, but that was particularly good. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. That was my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or in the Merrimack Valley, McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. If you missed part of today's show, which was uh, the American Rescue Plan, which was the third stimulus, uh, inflation worries, tax hikes potentially coming, check out our podcast. Search your podcast app for McNamara on Money and catch our two podcasts a week. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you next time.